Welcome to Good Friday. The text I wanna share with you is not a typical Good Friday text. I don't think you'll find it in the lectionary, but I think it might be applicable for our current situation. Hear the word of the Lord from the 137th Psalm. Read with me, won't you? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we thought of Zion, our home, so far away. On the branches of the willow trees, we hung our harps and hid our hearts from the enemy. The men that surrounded us made demands that we clap our hands and sing. Songs of joy from days gone by, songs from Zion, our home. Such cruel men taunted us, haunted our memories. How could we sing a song about the eternal God in a land so foreign while still tormented, brokenhearted, homesick? Please, please don't make us sing this song. Oh, Jerusalem, even still, don't escape my memory. I treasure you and your songs, even as I hide my harp from the enemy. And if I can't remember, May I never sing a song again. May my hands never play well again. For what use would it be if I don't remember Jerusalem as my source of joy? This 137th Psalm is a song of lament. It is about the Jews on their way into exile, into captivity in Babylon. And their question is, in such a situation, how can we sing the songs of praise? They were marching into an unknown future, into a terrible future, into a future vastly different than what they had experienced. Behind them, Jerusalem, their prized city, the city that was so central to so much was in ruins. The temple had been violated, that had been ransacked, it had been destroyed, leveled to the ground. Even the, the soil, the soil so fertile around Jerusalem had been sown with salt. The fields that had once produced crops would produce nothing for generations, decades to come. They would be fallow, unfulfilled. Nothing they had known before would ever be again. How could they worship the Lord? How could they worship the Lord in such circumstance? After all, the temple was gone. It was gone. The very focus of their spiritual life had been destroyed by the Babylonians, not just destroyed, but utterly devastated. The sacrificial system upon which everything in their worship actually depended was no more. It could not happen again. They had so carefully developed and protected it over the generations, but now it's dead and buried in the ruins of Jerusalem. The temple, the temple was gone. Can you imagine the grief they must have felt? the profound sense of loss at, at losing not just a worship space, but they lost the Ten Commandments. They lost the rod of Aaron. They lost the, 
manna, the showbread that came down from heaven in the wilderness. They had lost the very Ark of the Covenant, the scrolls of the temple. They were gone. They would be forced to adapt to a new kind of existence, a new kind of life, a new kind of worship experience, one that had to, by necessity, be less Jerusalem, less temple-centric. After all, they weren't there. They could not get there, and even if they could, there was nothing there that they could use. They would have to now suddenly worship differently. And at this time, this trail of tears march that they're doing into exile, they can't figure out how they'll ever worship God again. Now, they would have to find a worship that was less ritual dependent and more focused on the glory of God and not the glory of a building. The temple was gone, but there in captivity, there would arise an entirely new kind of dynamic spirituality and worship. Smaller? Oh, yes, absolutely. Less, less grand by every measurement possible. Was it more focused on faith than ritual? It had to be. The rituals were involved with the temple, and the temple, the temple was gone. Out of the Babylonian capti captivity, there arose this incredible dynamic worship in the synagogue. The synagogue, you see, was a product of them being in exile, of them being outside of Jerusalem. Not only the exile generation would be fed by this dynamic spiritual life of the synagogue, but the generations that followed, even after they returned to Israel, to Jerusalem, the synagogue became an important part of the lifeblood of the Israelite people. You remember that Jesus himself was nurtured, developed, taught in a synagogue in Nazareth as he grew up. His ministry, his ministry was announced. Where? In a synagogue. As a matter of fact, he even performed an exorcism in a synagogue. Synagogue was central, you see. You remember the story of Jesus as a young boy, a 12-year-old, staying behind in Jerusalem and his parents frantically trying to find him after he'd been gone for three days, and they find him in the temple teaching? You know that there are many scholars that believe, this is amazing, that inside the temple, Jesus was actually in a synagogue. That's right. They had synagogues in the time of Jesus in the temple. There were hundreds of them throughout the city of Jerusalem. See, when the Israelites were going into captivity and exile, they grieved the loss of the temple and of their way of life and worship. And then, as they're grieving this loss, marching out, they're mocked by the Babylonian soldiers. But going out of Babylon, going out of Babylon, they rebuilt the temple. Less grand, less ostentatious. But they took with them a renewed spirituality and a renewed sense of what worship was. 
maybe, just maybe now, on this Good Friday in the midst of a pandemic, maybe now for the first time in generations, we understand what the Jews felt and experienced by the rivers of Babylon. Maybe now, for the very first time in generations, we understand Good Friday as it first occurred. After all, their temple was gone. Jesus had been crucified, dead, buried. The object of their worship, the object of their adoration, the object of their praise was simply no more. He was lying wrapped in linen cloths in a sepulcher. Just as Jesus had been mocked by soldiers enforcing the crucifixion, just as the crowds had by judgmental righteousness cried out, so the disciples must have felt like the Israelites by the rivers of Babylon. Hear these words from Matthew chapter 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. And then they led him away to crucify him. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? <laughs> Save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. <laughs> Let him come down now from the cross. Then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. After all, he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon them. On this pandemic Good Friday, we are the disciples mourning the loss of Jesus, mourning the loss of their temple, practicing social distancing in a locked upper room, unable to gather together with the rest of the believers in any kind of public gathering or forum. Scared? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Feeling lost, feeling out of sorts, you bet we are. Grieving death, there are thousands who have died just here in this country. Tens of thousands who have died around the world. Everybody knows somebody 
maybe, maybe for the first time we understand what Good Friday was really like. Maybe for the first time in generations, we're experiencing Good Friday as it really, really was with no harps singing, no choir cantatas singing, not dressed in your finest, parading around. No, on this Good Friday, we're hiding our harps. We've put them up in the trees. We're hiding our hearts from anyone or anything that might attack us or harm us. Uh, this is the real Good Friday. What do you do on a real Good Friday when there's nothing to praise God about and everything seems to be lost and none of us can comfort one another and none of us can reach out and hug and touch? What do we do? when we're socially distant, isolated in our homes. We sing, <laughs> we sing. We sing because we know that the darkness succumbs to the light. We sing because we know it's always darkest just before the dawn. We sing because we remember what it was like to gather in worship and sing a full-throated praise unto God. We sing because we remember what God has done, and we sing because we proclaim our belief in God, even in a God that will do greater things for us in the future than he's ever done in the past. We sing not because we are good at singing, but because we need to sing. We praise, not because the circumstances require us to praise, they don't, but we praise God because he's greater than the circumstances we find ourselves in. Yes, this is the real Good Friday. And we are dressed in black and we are mourning the loss, the loss of the temple, the loss of the way things have always been, the loss of our anticipation that they would always be like this. And yet we sing. We sing because it's Good Friday. But Sunday is coming. Sing today. Sing with your grieving heart. Sing by yourself. Sing on key. Sing off key. But don't let your harps be held up in trees. Not anymore. It's Friday. But Sunday. Oh, thank the Lord. Sunday is coming. May the Lord be with you, and may God shine his light upon you and give you peace. Amen.